Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. Welcome to Focus on Albany. I'm Cynthia Pooler, and my guest today is Anne Rockwood. And Anne is the daughter of the gentleman that I uh, interviewed last week about the nursing home situation. I'm sorry about the assisted living situation. So Anne is going to kind of uh, give fill in the gaps and give us an overview from her perspective. So Anne, your dad's been your dad Manny has been in assisted living for a number of years, right? Yes, he's been in for a few years. Um, my mom had gotten um, my mom had needed more care, and that's really the reason they ended up moving there. Um, Mm Because he could no longer take care of her properly. So did they? He's been there. Did they they live together? Yes, they had an apartment. They lived in this until my mom died uh, last November. Not this one, the one before. Okay. Okay. So your mother died just a little bit before COVID. Yes, she did. She died a little bit before COVID. She had been moved to a different facility because she needed more care. And she actually, Uh that facility was actually under quarantine just before she died. So I already knew what it feels like not to be able to see your parent because of a quarantine. Right, right. So when your mother moved to another another facility, that's going to be really hard on your father, right? Well, it ended up being pretty difficult, uh, and in addition, he wasn't able to visit her either because they had been put under a quarantine. So once COVID hit, how did your father's life change? Well, my dad had gotten sick in January prior to it being declared a COVID situation, and I'm pretty sure he had covid for the amount that he was sick. Um, So the last time I really saw him for anything resembling a normal visit was last March 10th. And uh, we had, I had visited him at lunchtime while he was talking to his two table mates. And then I took him to his regular cardiologist appointment afterwards. And we all knew something was going to happen. We just didn't realize a year later we would still be in this situation. Right. So, you know, your father was complaining about the isolation and how how people can't mingle with each other, can't sit in the the dining room area together. So it's got to be pretty difficult. Um, Your father's got audio, his wits about him, and he understands, but I'm sure there's some people there that don't have the mental capacity as much as your father did. So it's kind of been even tougher for them. Would you would you agree to that? Yes, I would. I have a friend whose uh, father was in a different facility and he had some serious memory issues. So when she was finally able to see him, he didn't really recognize her because she had to wear a mask. And then mm-hmm. um, the policy as most people are aware, keeps changing. She had an appointment set up to visit her father just before she was scheduled to return to Florida. 
and the state changed the guidelines for visits, and she was required to get a COVID test within a certain amount of time before she could see him, and no one could give her any guidance on how to get that test. So she didn't get to see him. She left for Florida, and she was there for a couple of months, and she got a phone call that she could come home because her father was going to die. So she headed home, and again, she needed to have a COVID test, and she got the results of the COVID test seven minutes after he died. So she missed them. Oh, wow. The policies, policies, yes, and the policies have some pretty significant difficulties for the families and the people affected by it. Um, Another friend, and because uh, what people don't understand is a lot of times family members act as partial caregivers for those, the, Uh the people in the nursing home and the assisted living facilities. Like, for example, we would transport my dad to various appointments. <clears throat> We're not really, we haven't been really allowed to do that for a full year. But by going to the appointments, we can keep track of what their situation is and ask the questions. <clears throat> I'm sorry, give me a second. And that we need to know from the doctors. My dad has lost a significant amount of weight. Oh. oh, great. I'm sorry. Oh. It's okay. Mm. <clears throat> and there was a period of time when the people in the facility weren't even getting their hair cut, their toenails taken right. care of, stuff like that. It's pretty clear that there's been some neglect as a result of this. And mm-hmm. it's not all the facility's fault because <clears throat> the state is setting policies that make it impossible for them to provide outside care. Oh, wow. Wow. And every time the state issues a statement such as they have recently that they're changing the visitation rules. Uh It provides optimism for people, but the problem is this. The state announces the changes. The media talks about the changes, but the changes can't happen until the state provides guidelines to the facilities. Uh And in the case of assisted living, those guidelines are provided. So once the guidelines are provided, then each facility has to develop a policy that needs to be sent back to the state for approval mm-hmm. before any change can be made. And that can take more than a month. And in addition to that, the CDC and the CMS both have changed the policy guidelines, and the state of New York is not following the, the updated guidelines, which provide more um, possibilities for families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So an it's not a good situation. Facility. So an assisted, living, an assisted living facility, the people there have more autonomy than if they were in a nursing home. Is that correct? Yes, that was correct. It's no longer correct. Wow. 
Wow. And my dad, basically, my parents moved into a small apartment. So when right. we would visit, it wasn't a lot different than, you know, obviously they weren't still in our, still in our childhood home, but it was their right. home. So I would walk in, kick off my shoes, curl up on the couch, probably complain about the TV being on too loud. But uh-huh. we could have a normal relationship, not something where we were sitting six feet or more apart. Right. And we could also keep an eye on what the situation is. And my dad, as you know, is not afraid to speak out, but other people are. And there is neglect that is occurring as a result of the lockdown. The families can't keep track of their families, family members. Wow. There's a lot of... Do you think that the... uh... The personnel at the assisted living, would you say that they're under a tremendous amount of stress to do the best they can? Yes, they definitely are. They're doing a great job, but, you know, they're probably as frustrated as we are with the situation. And, again, when the state provides their guidance, it's not in the form of policy because the po- they don't want to provide policy because that would open the door to liability issues for the state. So mm-hmm. dad refers to people in the ivory tower shouldn't be making these decisions. That's how he puts it. And he's kind mm-hmm. of right about it because those that are writing policy don't understand the implications of what they're doing. Right. There's more okay. to it. Okay. One of my other friends had to actually – um, have get in touch with the Department of Health because of abuse to her mother during this lockdown at one of the mm-hmm. um, nursing home facilities in the area. So, so it's it's going to take a while before before everything goes back to quote unquote normal. Will will do you think normal is a subjective term and what we thought of normal a while ago will never be normal again and how is that going to impact on uh, the elderly in in this country well in particular in the state given what happened with the number of deaths um, in nursing homes because of the decision by the state to send infected people back to a facility that didn't have ventilation systems that could contain it, the state looks pretty bad because of that. So they're going to be a little more restricted in, in the decisions they make on what we're going to be allowed to do going forward. And it's really unfortunate mm-hmm. because it's not the resident's fault that this happened. The state is kind of taking out it out on the residents, their, their mistakes. I don't think it's going to be the normal that we had before, unfortunately, and that is very sad. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, my dad worries a lot about some of the other people in the facility who really, really looked forward to visits with their loved ones, and now they can't have that. What, what, uh, impressed me in in talking to your father was the fact that he felt bad for the ladies 
that were in assisted living because the, the beautician is no longer there and they didn't have the uh, luxury of getting their hair done. He must have mentioned that maybe four or five times. So, I mean, he's concerned and he understands the uh, the stuff that that the assisted living provides for the people who live there. And, you know, I mean, he's older, and I think it's pretty good. So over, over the over the past year, as you spoke to him on the phone, did you hear or did you pick up anything um, where you thought that your father's mental health is deteriorating? Um, my dad is pretty sharp. He owned a hardware store, which was recently sold, and he went to work there every day until he got sick last January 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and that had already concerned me because him being able to do that, I'm sure, improved his mental state, you know, his mental state. Mm-hmm. Um, he's still very, very sharp. He'll say things about his concern that um, he doesn't remember certain things or whatever, but I don't necessarily believe him on that. I think he's still mm-hmm. pretty sharp. And um, I have talked to a couple of other reporters in trying to get the story out. And for some reason, the reporters find it difficult to believe that one of the residents can speak for themselves. And uh, Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's something that I noticed um, many years ago. My dad had me bring him to a doctor's appointment, and the doctor started talking to me instead of to him. And I reminded the doctor that my dad was the patient. You, right. you don't automatically become a child when you turn 80. Right. And uh, the condescending attitude and also, and it follows through with the state. The state is treating the residents of nursing homes and assisted living facilities, and there's other categories that I can't think of, as if they are children. They are not children. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I think we'd all do well to talk to them to find out how they feel about the situation. And abuse is really important. Uh-huh. If you only allow... If you only allow supervised visits, how are people going to articulate what they're experiencing in the homes? And that's all we're allowing right now. You know, what you're telling me reminds me of uh, something that that happened to me a, a few years ago. I went down to Arizona to visit my friend Harriet who has since passed, unfortunately. But she had to go to the doctor, and uh, Harriet was a really, really smart woman. She was an architect. She was self-sufficient. She was strong-willed. And when we got to the doctor, the doctor, the um, people at the desk were talking to her like like she was a moron. And when when I right. left, I said, Harriet, Harriet, they they treated you so unfairly, and you know she said, oh, this happens all the time. 
So, you know, people after a while get used to the fact that they're not treated as they should be. Right. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right. So, it's a pretty pervasive issue. It, it so, is a pervasive issue. But, you know, how do you how do you change the mindset of staff uh to treat older people like they're not invalids, right? How do you do that? I, I don't I don't really know. I mean most of the staff where my dad is, they are incredibly caring and I'm not I cannot fault them. But it happens uh-huh. elsewhere and it does really concern me that we're only allowing supervised visits and making it impossible for someone that's worried about their treatment to really speak out about it. Okay. Now, so. is he, where is the uh, assisted living facility? Is it in uh, Scotia? I think you said yeah, Scotia. Yeah, right? in Glenville. Dad's okay. in Glenville, okay. yes. And now, if you talk to him, uh-huh. if you if you Go talk ahead. to him, he'll always say he has absolutely no problem with the facility because he knows they're not setting the policy. Right, right. So you think it's mandated from the state? It is mandated from the state. And the state at this point is also not following the guidelines of the Center for Disease Control, or the CMA, which is wrong. They keep talking about following the science. Well, there's the science. The CDC said, here's how we want you to do it now, and we're not doing it. Uh Uh-huh. So I'm, I'm sure that you have no way of knowing it, but how many how many elderly people are in assisted living that that people should be more aware of? Um, I can't answer that. I, I I could probably look it up really quickly, but I don't know the answer to that. Okay. <clears throat> Do you think it's a huge population? Um. There are, here we go, let's see, there are, there's, there's an assisted living place in at least one in Glenville, um, mm-hmm. there's some in se- several different locations, mm-hmm. I don't know how, it says there's approximately 28,900 assisted living communities with nearly 1 million licensed beds. That doesn't really tell you how many residents, but that'd be how many residents there could be. And New York but you State, have to remember. Go ahead. In New York State, it's throughout the country. That's throughout the country. There's 28,000, okay. nearly 38,000 communities, uh-huh. and there's approximately 1 million licensed beds. But there's a lot of other categories. For facilities, for example, there's a memory care facility. That would be something different. There's a nursing uh-huh. home. There, that would be something different. Uh-huh. And um, all of them 
you know, you'd have to add, you'd have to look all of that up and then add it up to see what it would be. Okay. Probably okay. easily twenty percent of the adult populate the elderly population. Okay. So uh, it seems as though COVID seems to be in check now. Ultimately, when when things get normalized again, and I use the word normal again, um, are people in assisted living, do you think their their lives will, things won't, won't be any different. Their life has changed. Do you think it will remain so after COVID is no longer a problem? I don't think I don't think much is going to change uh, for the people in the facilities, maybe in a year or two, but short term, I don't see big changes. One thing that I do think would be a good change is that I do know that uh, prior to COVID being declared, um, some facilities that I would have to visit with my dad for care weren't doing a very mm-hmm. good job of staying clean, and maybe that'll be a good thing that comes of this. Okay. A little more attention to making sure medical facilities are clean. Now, is there any talk on lifting the restrictions for uh, people in, in your dad's facility to go out uh, and enjoy a meal in a restaurant or a visit with the family? Has that been talked about at all? Well, that's part of um, the changes from the Centers for Disease Control that the state hasn't gotten on board with yet. Okay. The, the, the Centers for Disease Control have put out new guidelines that are a little bit less restrictive than what are in place now, um, and the state is not our state is not on board with those changes that yet. They haven't reviewed them well enough to establish guidelines. And you don't know when that'll happen. No, I don't think anybody does. Um, okay. The state, the state really lost faith with their their the situation with all of the deaths. So they're being overly cautious. I think. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, we want to try to do what we can to prevent spreading illness, but we already did the the state already did the worst possible thing by sending sick people to a facility without the um, necessary controls in place. So Okay, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here for a second. What you're saying sure. I know happened, but once people got out of the hospital, where where was it that they could go? I mean, a lot of them couldn't go with their you know, uh, children and relatives, uh, and they weren't able to take care of themselves. So where were they to go? I understand what you're saying on that. And basically, because um, I've been involved somewhat with my parents' care for a while, I do know that it's been a longstanding Medicare and also insurance policy to send people home from hospitals sooner than they should be. 
And that has to happen because um, it wasn't all that long ago that our state was very actively um, reducing the number of hospital beds available. So without available hospital beds, you're right, it does pose a quandary. In New York City, however, the state had a couple things at their disposal that they could have used. The Javits Center was set up for patients and not used, and they also had a ship that was sent for uh, people being still in need of treatment. And instead, they decided to send them back to the nursing homes. They okay. didn't really use either of those resources. So right. I, I don't know what to say. Obviously, there's always um, something better we could do. And we usually act with the information we have at hand. But sending somebody that's infectious back to a place that can't treat infect can't control infection is not wise. So you think this is a problem, a societal problem that people don't know much about? Would you say that was an accurate statement? Uh, we do know how to handle infection control. Um, years ago, my husband ended up in a form of isolation, isolation because he had staph pneumonia with abscesses, and that's something I never understood about this particular um, situation that we're in. It's, it's perfectly um, – you can visit someone safely who's in a situation – where they have an infection. There's controls. They know what the controls are. They somehow didn't manage the resources correctly to be able to pull it off. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. Honestly, I don't understand. It's not new information. Okay. My husband was sick in, the, in 1981, and they knew how to handle one. infection control back then. And it was respiratory okay. illness, which is the same thing as this. Okay. Did it have a name? What my da- my husband had was he had pneumonia yeah. with um, abscesses. He had staph pneumonia with abscess abscesses, um, and it was possibly related to his job, but uh-huh. it couldn't be proven. Did he survive? We, we do know how to do infection control. Pardon me. No, he died. He died from oh, okay. heart issues. A while ago. Wow. wow. So we just have a, a minute or so left, and uh, what would you mm-hmm. say to anybody who's listening who has a loved one in a uh, uh, a facility such as your dad does? Um, we just need, at this point, um, because it's difficult for the residents to be an advocate for themselves, we need to do it. My dad is perfectly capable of being his own advocate, but the problem is getting someone to listen. That's really what the problem is. And for, for someone to understand that the story needs to get out. Okay. Um, and uh, the other news media that you've contacted, they've been pretty good in covering uh, your father, right? Oh, they did do pretty good, but the story is not going away, and it's being um, overshadowed by other things to continue to be talked about. Okay. Maybe in the future you and I can 
have another conversation on Focus on Albany and talk about it a little more. But you've been listening awesome. to Thank Anne, you. Rock- Anne Rockwood. Uh, Anne, uh, give yourself a little plug with your movies. Oh, I've, I've been working on a um, project about actress and activist Isetta Jewell for several years now. And right now, um, we have an exhibit at the Saratoga Auto Museum. Um, Isetta and some other women who were involved in early autoing, their stories told up there. And that's where it is at right now. Okay. So you've been listening to Ann Rockwood. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focus on Albany. If you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. And thank you for sharing your story. And thank you for everybody listening. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you.